everyone. Welcome back to Overdressed and Underqualified, a podcast where we talk about first job stuff and all the other business things about starting your own careers. Thanks for tuning in for our episodes on creativity, where we talk to different people in the business world that have a little bit more of a creative twist to either the things that they are doing or the things that they're interested in. Today's interview is going to be with Ashley Brooks, who is really prominent in the food industry. My name is Amanda Alexander, and I'm your host for today. Let's get to it. Food is such a connector for people. It's like the most basic way to connect with someone. And it's, you know, um, a huge part of everyone's life and family and getting together and that connection, that just basic human connection, right? Ashley has been in the food industry for the past 16 years, but she really feels like she's been a part of it for much longer than that, as she traces her love of food back to cooking with her grandmother. So I think I never really reflected on that until the last like 10 or 15 years of my life, really. But I completely, looking back at my life, I feel like this is just always where my life was headed. Even when I was a little girl, I want to, like some of my fondest memories are being um, in the kitchen with my grandmother and she was also you know just total Hoosier hospitality through and through she came from North Carolina but you know I just I got so much of my sense of hospitality and like nurturing people through food from her and didn't you know I just like didn't register until later in life yeah and I just remember like being in the basement of the church cooking these like gallons of like green beans and mashed potatoes and like really just like you know midwestern wholesome food for the congregation or for you know someone's wedding reception or whatever so I was like and I remember like loving that feeling of being in the kitchen and serving people and it just stuck with me where she found the importance of food or rather where she began to develop the food justice part of herself was when she joined AmeriCorps and I was stationed in Arizona. So it was the first time I left the state. I was 23. Um, and that, I think, was like such an impactful experience for me. And it really sparked this thing that was like always a part of my life, but I didn't really, I didn't recognize it. It wasn't like a conscious thing, but um, really kind of sparked this like intersection of wanting to do good in the community and do something really impactful and help people. But also I was experiencing poverty in a way, um, and that's kind of the point of an AmeriCorps VISTA is you experience poverty at that level so that you can act change and, um, and help people. So, so I was stationed in Arizona and I was working with Big Brothers Big Sisters. So I was setting up mentorships between high schoolers and, and littles. And just loved that and it was really great, but it wasn't making any money. Obviously, it was like a paid volunteer, quote-unquote. So I had to get on food stamps and food assistance and um, medical assistance and everything. So that was new for me, and I realized that it was super hard to stay healthy and or shop locally when I, you know, you're at the poverty level. And I was also 23, so not making the best decisions probably anyways. But I was buying, like, cheap processed foods and frozen pizzas and... Um, I got really overweight and unhealthy and really unhappy. And so I had this educational stipend from that experience. And I decided that I was going to go to um, use that and go to culinary school back in Indiana. 
and then eventually work my way into um, nutrition and dietetics. So that's kind of where this uh, passion got started between like food and philanthropy. She did come back and go to culinary school, a good bit of time spent to baking and pastries in California, only to pivot once again and work for Indiana's Goose the Market, which is a farmer's market-esque butcher and cheese and wine shop. I started working at Goose the Market, and that was really like a huge introduction into the world of like, knowing local farmers and kind of understanding what, you know, the concept of sustainable organic food and the slow food movement and all of that. And then decided I wanted to try my hands in cheese making. So I started working at Trader's Point Creamery and making cheese and yogurt and cottage cheese. And that was really fun. So it's really kind of like collecting all of these food experiences and just learning and absorbing everything I could. I am a cheese lover. Cottage cheese, cream cheese, ricotta cheese, mozzarella cheese, parmesan cheese, even the kind of cheese that has fruit in it and all the different wonderful, lovely flavors associated with different seasons. I love cheese. So I don't really see any problem to dedicating your career to making such a wonderful, wonderful product. However, I was very curious as to understand why she decided to pivot from pastry to market to cheese making. I don't know. I think I just kind of fell in love with cheese. I mean, just everything. Like, I love the concept of fermentation and everything that goes into that and how just it's like when you kind of fall in love with really good wines. And I don't know, I was just really passionate about it. And actually... It was sort of serendipitous because my sister, my younger sister's boyfriend was working there at the time and they were leaving to um, open a new creamery out west. And so the position was kind of open and I was like, I'm just going to go for it. So what's your favorite part about making cheese? Like describe that to me. I think at the time I was like, what was so fascinating was that I was learning this new skill that I had never, it's like a part of my brain that I had never activated before. And it was like, not just the process of making cheese, which, you know, I love that too, just the natural process and, you know, seeing it from start to finish, like it's just raw milk, you know, and then it turns into this beautiful thing and then it ages and all of the science that goes into that. But also being in that environment, like a hairnet and like boots on and it was really like dirty and smelly and messy. <laughs> um, just this kind of, you know, it's like farm job, you know. And then you have to really learn all of these like systems um, with all like the valves and the generators and like all of the equipment that goes into it was also really fascinating. Just all of that. It was just really fun and different. And I remember having to like, when the milk delivery would come in, uh, climbing on top of the big tanker and having to like sample the milk and it's just like raw milk. It was just really fun and different. During her time working at the creamery, she met her now ex-husband, got pregnant, and realized it was time for a change. So I just got way too pregnant, like literally just too big to do that job. <laughs> like could not fit in between the cheese slats of like the aging room. <laughs> the big change for the young couple was opening a restaurant. Many of you might be familiar with Milk Tooth, a quaint eatery on the main strip of Fountain Square in Indianapolis. Before we get going, though, some of you might know that Ashley and her husband got divorced, which resulted in Ashley exiting the business. 
Because she has spoken publicly about this string of events, I'm not going to recap them here. But if you are interested in hearing the full story, you can read the article in the Indie Star written about her that was published early last year. In this podcast, we are going to stick with the entrepreneurial side of the story and delve into what it's like to build a restaurant from the ground up for the first time. Um, so my ex-husband and I, we had this idea. We wanted, we knew we wanted to open a restaurant together. We had a baby. Brunch was sort of like something that we felt like we could just do really well and also like kind of just be a family in the evenings and that would just kind of work for our lives personally and it just felt like brunch was like a niche that wasn't being filled I mean there are like breakfast places and we were like brunch isn't really like it's not a cultish thing here yet so um <laughs> anyway so we um that oh man it was just crazy that process was just really crazy we'd never had a restaurant before didn't you know we were just kind of like feeling our way through the process just piecing together you know funds and investors and finding a space and we got hooked up with some amazing landlords who bought the building for us specifically they were also um, the owners of Bluebeard and Amelia's and just really cool developers and they just believed in us and, um, and that was huge so um, we opened the concept, and again, we just kind of like pieced together the space. Um, we wanted to hire a lot of um, of our friends and local artists, so it was just a huge collaboration, you know. And Jonathan, he was the head chef, and I, um, because I had experience in pastry, I kind of wanted. I was like playing around the idea of being the pastry chef, but we had a you know two year old, and I was like at the time we can't both get up at like four in the morning to go open this restaurant like what are we doing with the baby so (laughs) I naturally and I think as most women do if you have a young family and you're in that role kind of take a sort of more supportive more flexible hours more just sort of backseat you know and and that was great I was really excited about that I was really um excited to learn a lot about that side of the business so oh man such a steep learning curve (laughs) I was gonna say I don't even I, I don't even know the oh. questions I would ask about what goes so businesses in general starting a business is hectic and crazy yeah. and you have a product and then you know you're developing that product whether it's physical or you know more of software mm-hmm. but food is a product you're literally developing every single day mm-hmm. from the ground up like you know what I mean yeah um, yeah so what goes what goes into <laughs> founding a restaurant you know. Oh man, and we were just like learning as we were going and just like, I hope this is right. Like, I don't really know. You know, we just uh, kind of just got the best advice we could get. We, you know, um, got some free uh, consulting through the Chamber of Commerce. Um, They hooked us up with someone who could kind of do some business coaching. And, you know, it's like, this is how you should incorporate. And these are all the things. Of course, my ex-husband was, he's always been a chef and he was a chef de cuisine and so, like, he had that down. You know, he was, like, the genius behind the food. Um, and, you know, we were also just really strategically hiring people. Um, we hired a front of house manager, and she's still there today. And, you know, she was incredible. And, I like, we had so much, like, trust and faith in her. And, you know, she did an amazing job. And, you know, I think we were just really surrounding ourselves with the right people, too. 
so like I said, it was like one big family, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that whole time is like, it feels like such a blur sometimes. And then, you know, it took us a long time to open because I think we were just trying to like grassroots do it ourselves and do the build out ourselves and piece it together because we didn't have the money to like hire some like crazy huge design, you know, firm and just have everyone do it for us. So when the restaurant finally opened, it was so well received by the community. The vibe of the restaurant was fun and exciting, as well as a little quirky, giving everyone the perfect hint of what they loved. And it was so praised, in fact, that Ashley's then-husband received Best New Chef from Food and Wine. So I think it was um, three months after we opened, I think, we got a call that Jonathan had won Best New Chef from Food and Wine. Honestly, that's just like the spark that just ignited this wildfire. Yeah, so that happened. And then obviously there was like a lot of local attention. Local accolades came in after that. And then Bon Appetit named us top 10 restaurants in their hot 10 of that year. And then it was just like snowballing from there. So yeah, that was a really exciting time. We were on the Food Network and and we were still like trying to figure out how to run a restaurant. (laughs) So... What was one of the most surprising things that you learned about that went into uh, running a restaurant? Like, you know, I think you can, or at least in my naive brain and not even having a familiarity with the industry, just being like, oh yeah, it's long hours. Like you're always going to realize that. And you're always going to realize, oh yeah, vendors aren't the easiest to find and, or deal with. And so I guess I say some of those natural things like, oh yeah, those are going to be hard. But what was one that just like kind of hit you out of nowhere and was like, I didn't expect that to be an issue or to yeah. be a problem. Uh, well, could say a lot of things. <laughs> sure. There were just like a lot of curveballs, I think, at that time. Um, one thing was like, I feel like this, I really wanted to, um, it just seemed like a natural and organic thing to like rent out the space. Private parties, you know, we were only open till 3 p.m. every day. So I was like, there's like another like revenue stream here, right? And that's not like, I didn't go to school for like any of this stuff, you know? I never actually graduated. I went to school three times and never graduated. So I don't have a degree, y'all. But um, it's okay. You can make your own way. So, but I just felt like, wow, that's like such an opportunity. And so I was always like, can we rent out the space? Like, what would we charge for a wedding here? And and I think that at the end of the day, I just kind of had to, it, it was causing this fissure between my husband and I, because I think... I was trying to like implement these like strategies and structure and and catering too, right? Everyone was like loving our pastry chef and the stuff that she was doing and and it was incredible and it was like so different, you know, and so people were like gobbling that up and so I'm trying to like what are we charging for this? Like how do we structure that? And I, you know, that's where my mind was going and I think it just wasn't where everyone else was at. They were like probably in the trenches, you know, of like um, day-to-day stuff. So I had to just sort of like cut that off and be like, I'm going to probably like save my marriage here. <laughs> At the time I thought that, um, I just like, we're not going to focus on that right now. So that was a big surprise. You know, I was, um, really excited to kind of work on that aspect of the business. So, which is interesting that now it's like, that's kind of, I don't know. It's, I think I've found like a natural talent and, um, so I'm, I'm happy now I get to develop that. After unexpectedly leaving the restaurant, 
Ashley was ready to do something different. She debated about going back to school, learning a new skill, or pursuing many other paths, but ultimately she landed on her new passion project, a rose. I kind of wanted to just like get away from it all, like just move away and do something totally different. And then I just kind of felt this like, I don't know, like relentless energy inside that's like, I'm not gonna let anyone take away my passion for the food industry. So I incorporated again and started a rose Hospitality. Rose is my middle name. So I was like, well, it's just me. I don't really know. So I started just doing um, uh, private parties and catering and private dining. So I started working with the um, Newfields Art Museum and, and just started like kind of creating this new iteration. That seemed like the most natural route for me. Yeah, and so like as I just started developing that business, I realized pretty quickly that I can't really be an event planner or a caterer because... That's all nights and weekends, and you know, I'm a single mom now, and it was just really, um, that was hard. So, I think about last year, a year and a half ago, I started developing the um, consulting side of my business. More recently, Ashley has focused a lot on food justice and collaboration with others, especially women in the food industry. Her first venture on this was Indie Women in Food. There is an organization, a publication called Cherry Bomb, it's out of New York, and the editor director was coming to Indianapolis, and she she was putting together this panel discussion around women in food in Indianapolis. And one of the organizers had reached out to me to put together a luncheon before the panel, and all of female chefs. So I was super excited about that, and I just called every single like local food idol that I could think of and I was like oh my god I'm so excited to get all these people together in one room so there were about I think there were maybe like 20 20 women in the industry who either own their own restaurants or were you know chefing at a local restaurant so and then we were all in the same room and one thing that stood out to me was how surprised we all were that we didn't know each other better and that we had never all been in the same room together so I felt like that was you know just really impactful um, and then later that night, there was the panel, um, and my co-founder, Sonia Overheiser, she runs A Couple Cooks, which is a food blog, and her and her husband have released a couple cookbooks. So she was on the panel, and so that's where we met. And then we had coffee, and it's like, we were just chatting about it, and like, isn't this like such a cool... It was just, there was so much momentum from that event, and we just really wanted to figure out a way to like keep that going and keep it alive. And so we were like, you know, writing all of our notes and ideas on a napkin, you know, and and so we really just wanted to create a community for women in the industry, not necessarily all chefs, but in this very general food space. So some are bloggers, photographers, a space for women to connect and feel support and be able to like share resources and, and it be like a safe space. Mm -hmm. So Circumstances and situations in the food industry are a little bit different for women, and therefore, Ashley believes that it is so very important for them to have a space to get together and collaborate. It's no secret that women, and especially women of color, are marginalized in society, and always, we still have this enormous gender wage gap. I think that it was just really important, and I think this was coming off of like, you know, the tail end of like the Me Too movement. And I think that it's just such an important time to support women, especially women of color and entrepreneurs. I mean, this is like 
hard enough already and the food industry is so tough and it's tough to be on your feet all day and work in kitchens if um, that's what you're doing and it's also just tough to like run your own business and and feel like you're on an island you know it's just so important that we we try to connect more and collaborate more and that's something that I think women do naturally it was just a pretty obvious need and not that there aren't other organizations that are centered around supporting women in the industry and but we hadn't really seen anything on this level I guess it started out as a private Facebook group and it's grown organically since then even with the growth, it's not Ashley and her co-founder's intention to lead the group anywhere. They are content having it be a place for women to show up and support one another, loving each other and supporting what they do. A part of what the natural growth has resulted in is a diversity series. So the diversity uh, panel series started, and that's been so fun. Each time it's been a different theme around um, like LGBTQ plus women in the industry or... Um, women in agriculture, and we just get this amazing group of women together on the panel, experts, and they just talk about their challenges and what it's like to be a female in this industry. But starting this group also had personal meaning for Ashley. Personally, also, I think that this came at just like a very organic time in my life. For me, starting this group was kind of a lifeline for me because I had left my restaurant, it was unexpected going through a divorce you know I was also like shit what am I gonna do now like (laughs) so um and this was a way for me to like connect just get out there meet people connect figure out what I was going to do next and I think for me just connecting with women especially was really felt like the safest place for me We've talked a lot about the different passion projects that Ashley had thrown herself into after leaving the restaurant. And another one of them she found herself coming back to was food justice. Almost as if she was starting back from the beginning, back in her days with AmeriCorps. My realization that this was even a thing, I think, was really when I started to understand what like farm to table meant sustainability and organic food and what's natural like all these things have now kind of become just like phrases that everyone throws around and it's just become like another way for big you know food corporations to just like market whatever they want um so so I just kind of started to get this like understanding of what local food really was and why it was important to support our local farmers support local agriculture and so, and what the differences between food that was processed and food that was grown in like a, a loving and careful and sustainable way, you know, and there are just so many nuances to that um, and just how it affects our bodies and our, you know, just everything. So that was kind of the origin. And then I, I think this was like maybe, I want to say like seven years ago, I joined the board of Slow Food Indie, which is a local grassroots organization. I mean, it's a worldwide grassroots organization, but I joined the local chapter. You know, they were just working on supporting the local food economy and trying to keep our dollars local and encouraging people to buy local, shop local, grow their own food, why it was important to understand where our food comes from. Looking back at, like, how my grandmother lived, right, back in the... 40s, 50s, before like major industrialization of food, people would like grow their own food. You know, they'd they'd garden, they'd eat what they grew, and or they'd like, you know, shop at local markets. And 
so, and then we just got into this like industrialization of food and like major processed food and fast food. And that was just kind of like the culture that I grew up in. So then this kind of local movement, I think, started emerging in maybe late 70s, 80s, you know, taking off from there. I joined the board of Slow Food ND and started working on, it's called Snail of Approval. And so the organization, basically, they have a a way that they vet local farmers, makers, chefs. It just kind of started off as like restaurants only. Make sure that they're using good practices and and raising awareness to food that's good, clean, and fair for all. So paying fair wages to workers, you know, um, not using pesticides, herbicides, all those things. So yeah, so then I just started getting more and more into that. And I just, I think over the years, I've realized that it's so awful to me that there are so many like children that are food insecure in Indianapolis and central Indiana and all over the place. One in five children in Marion County are food insecure. Food insecurity generically means that a child would experience either hunger once a day or would have to skip a meal once a day. If someone is food insecure, they're, they're going to be hiding it most of the time, you know? And so I just think it's so important that we, we talk about it, we try to figure out ways to work on this problem. You know, children are our future, right? So like, we have to make sure that they're like educated and fed and loved and, and, and taken care of. So yeah. um, when it comes to uh, food justice, I think for me, it just hits home. And certainly now that I have a child, that's obviously is a big connector there, so. Ashley has been through a lot and is also involved in many different organizations and businesses. With such a diverse demand for her time and energy, I wanted to know where she found fulfillment in her normal day. Full disclosure, like I struggle with that. You know, I struggle with the balance of life, the balance of time. You know, I, I'm an entrepreneur and I don't, like I don't have a brick and mortar anymore. So I'm kind of free form and freelance. And sometimes I work from home if I don't feel like talking to anybody and getting a lot done. And sometimes I go do the coffee shop tour, you know. So I don't have like a specific schedule. And then I just kind of like work hard when I need to. Like my most productive time is probably like midnight to 1am. And I am so glad that I found out that you can schedule your email to like go out at a certain time. Because <laughs> I was like that classic 1am emailer. So, <laughs> but you know, I, I love that, you know, that's a struggle for me. I like structure and I like organization and I like schedules and not really having that is tough for me and it's a challenge. So I always have to kind of work on that. But I love the flexibility too because like I said, I have a son and I love that I can go pick him up from school every day that I have him. And you know, and then we can just choose to do what we want. And I don't like, it's not like a big like rush around feeling, you know? So I work a lot on the weekends when I don't have him. So typically like Sundays and Mondays are like my day to like just get everything done and get super organized and just like, yeah, do it all. So I'm learning more about what self-care means to me. Still, that's a struggle, but. What do you do for self-care? I think just like recognizing when I need alone time. So I'm kind of an empathic person and I am like an introverted extrovert. And so I love being social and I love having people around, but I really need to be alone to recharge. And so um, just kind of figuring out that balance. 
Another way she finds simple pleasure is in cooking for herself. So I haven't talked about um, another project that I um, co-founded and I'm the current president of the Garfield Park Farmer's Market which we just ended our fourth season. Um, it runs May through October in Garfield Park, and we're a nonprofit. It's a really like incredible community. Uh, we're a slow food approved market, which is the first in the country actually. But one of my favorite things was just like going to the market every single week and just like buying random things. And so then just cooking with whatever I got from the market that day. So that's, I mean, that's it really. I don't ever cook from recipes. Like ever. I just kind of cook by feel. So that was always fun. We talked about so much in this interview. I wish that I could leave the entire raw audio for you guys to hear just all the different people that she is involved with, the different organizations, everybody she's supporting and trying to support. It's truly amazing. And I'm very thankful at the end of the episode. Ashley wanted to leave a little bit of advice for you young professionals out there trying to make it and understand this big, bad adult world. Yeah, I've just, uh, I kind of talking a little bit about the audience that might be listening. seems like there were a lot of people who are kind of carving out their own path in life. And I think maybe if I have any advice for younger people who are trying to figure out like what they're doing out of college or you know um the next step in their life it's so important to like just believe in yourself and organically just take that leap right so I don't have any degrees and I'm self-taught in everything I do and I always have imposter syndrome but (laughs) I think that it just proves that you can really carve out your own path in life and if you're passionate about something just follow that until you can't follow it anymore. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Overdressed and Underqualified. We really appreciate you guys following us and giving us feedback. If there are more topics, more people that you want to hear from and hear about, email us at or iTunes at orfellowship.org.